Hello everyone and welcome to the Pink Bike Podcast. This week is the last interview out of the MSA interview series and it features a mechanics meeting with John Hall, Jim Bland and myself. Between the three of us we have varying amounts of experience on the World Cup circuit and we trade a few battle stories about some unexpected difficulties, some things that came very naturally as well as the highs and lows of living and working on the circuit. I hope you enjoy it. Hello and thank you very much for coming to the podcast. So this week we've got a bit of a mechanics meeting because I wanted to talk about some of the behind the scenes aspects of downhill World Cup racing that might not be appreciated by the average viewer as well as kind of contrasting two different mechanics. So to my left we have Jim Bland who you work at the union team, you also do a bit in the management and it seems to be a team in the ascendancy. That's correct yeah so uh, I guess give a little bit of a background to the union. Um, so the union's kind of it's quite special, really, because we're a non-profit team, uh, actually registered as a charity. Um, with the, I guess the main goal of the team is to get talent, capitalise on it, and then hopefully kind of like get the riders onto bigger factory programmes and, yeah, kind of use their talent and get them what they deserve kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, we're very open and, yeah, the whole focus is on building potential, maximising young talent, um, and hopefully, yeah, giving them the future everyone deserves. And... I mean, I think it's going to be really interesting to talk, so you can probably say a car rattle past, um, because this will be your second season wrenching, and it feels like this season is kind of things are, I mean, you're going to, let's face it, had some great results, I've been particularly stoked to see Ollie Davis, really, because he's a fantastically talented rider. I think he's the unlucky hardest property on the circuit at the minute. <laughs> <laughs> uh, unlucky with some injuries, but he really lets it all talk on the track, eh? Oh, for sure, like, no one, I think it was impossible to forecast what he's done this year. Like, obviously, he had some injuries and niggles last year, but, yeah, he was almost, like, failing to qualify as a junior last year. And I know the field was tough, but still, it was, like, nail-biting watching him last year, like, just hoping that he would cross the line and get to the finals. Um, and then to see how he's built on that through, like, lots of hard work, recovery, and additional surgery in the off-season, um, to then come out swinging um, and get, yeah, regular... He's regular up there with the best of the best, really. So, um, yeah, it's been mind-blowing to see. Yeah. Um, and it just goes to show that the hard work we put in and yeah you don't need huge setups and fancy things to make cool things happen so yeah it's been amazing to yeah just see it all come together exactly yeah lovely and to my right we have John Hall who is Aaron Grin's mechanic and how many years have you been wrenching on the circuit now? Since 2014 is my first year so I think this is year 10 now and you kind of went straight in at the deep end though right? I mean 100% what was that like thrown to the sharks being like first world cup job and it is you know this at that point already a multiple overall winner and somebody that just goes had kind of almost redefined what it was to go fast on a downhill mountain bike yeah um <clears throat> honestly i think it was a perfect case of ignorance is bliss i had no idea um i was i came in completely blind with uh essentially two people's advice or three people's advice uh first was monk dog and i saw him out at fontana one of our little local series in uh socal and he was like hey heard your wrench from my boy like yep got him he goes find me if you need anything i'll help you and i was like cool thanks (laughs) and then like showed me his whole toolbox like everything that he took 
what he had in there, spares to think about, like just a quick, maybe 15, 20 minute conversation. Um, realistically, honestly, it's probably about a half hour. I think he showed me every single tool in his toolbox. He pulled out like a 160 rotor solid that he used as like Missy Joe's like mud rotor and friggin' I don't know, nineteen seventy five or something. Who <laughs> knows? He's like, up, oh, gotta have mud rotors. And so I was like, okay, gotta be prepared for all this stuff. And so that was probably like my first little like quick rundown. Uh and then I was I was working with John Kanipa um and Eric Car- <clears throat> excuse me, Eric Carter. And so both like seasoned vets from a different era, but they still like you don't forget certain fundamentals of kind of what's going on. So I had John Kanipa by my side who was like, hey man, I'll, I still know a ton of people on the circuit. It's been five years, I think, at the time for him since he had been. And so he's, he took me around, introduced me to John Dawson at SRAM and like, hey, here's all the people you need to know if you need anything. Um, every mechanic that he knew, he would introduce me to, tell, tell him who I am. Like, it's my first year and they, they were all so like helpful and welcoming, you know, and everybody was like, if you need anything, questions, anything like that, just, come ask, come find me, whatever. And so I began to quickly learn that relationships were key in like success and what we do here. Um, kind of regardless of your skill level. Uh, I think at this level we can all work on bikes. Uh, and we've been asked, I don't know how many times, you know, what's the difference between a world cup mechanic and a bike shop mechanic. And I often joke like bike shop mechanics can probably run circles around us. Like quite honestly they they work on a far more diverse set of parts and bikes and equipment day in day out typically six days a week where we have one bike or one brand one set of components we're just really knowledgeable in those sets of components that are on our you know given bikes i think Uh, especially for when you get to the level where you you're blessed with some really great support it gets the stage of your derailleur takes a knock and you just replace it you don't take the, do you know what I mean? Sure. Or, oh, that it's, there's a less finesse potentially of yeah. being a, a World Cup mechanic than there is a, a shop mechanic. You just have to remove all doubt and everything has to be 100% certain and done now as fast as possible. So yes, there are probably derailers that took a knock or a bend that you could bend back, but you're not going to risk that at this level and then your staff bike starts to look really nice really quick (laughs) (laughs) right (laughs) exactly yeah so yeah in that instance for example you'd probably put a new hanger on new derailleur like zero risk i'm not taking any chances you didn't fly all the way across the world spend all this money and time and effort and training and testing to like risk a bent derailleur ruining a race run so yeah, that's why some people are like, ah, it could be a little bit wasteful or something like that. Or it's like, I can't believe you guys don't try to fix those. And we'll, we don't throw them in the trash or yeah. anything like that. It's like you save them, you put them on a practice bike or you help a privateer out and something like that. And so that's where it kind of comes back to like when I first came on, I realized that relationships were key and, and knowing everybody in the pits. And, you know, you have so many resources at that point beyond what you have. Um, even at the factory level, there are some times where you're like, crap i need part a and we don't have it or we ran out or we don't run it or don't have a sponsor for that so and so does we've got a few favors in exchange like i'll go cash in a favor and it goes back and forth you know somebody comes over especially saying Anne, like and typically like the higher level support that we have we have plenty of parts coming in these places so we'll have typically 
more say coming into St. Anne, we'll have plenty of wheels, spare rims to replace broken ones, stuff like that. Just knowing coming into this place. And a lot of times like smaller teams like the union or privateers, or they got a decent team in Europe, but they only sent a kid and his dad here, you know? And so it's like, you want to help those people out when you can. The lifeblood of the sport, right? Exactly. So it just, like I said, it's, it's more about the relationships and that's kind of how like bringing it back around, like getting thrown in a deep end, like for sure. Um, and I've got a great story about the first race and, and before it as well, if you'd like to hear no, it we'll later. Get, we'll get onto that for sure. But, I mean, um, when I used to work at Polygon, the thing that people would always come and ask us for is the black spray paint for the parts and the tires. Yeah. They'd be like, we heard you've got some of the best paint <laughs> in the game <laughs> because we're not running sponsored tires this weekend. Right. Like step this way. Yeah. <laughs> come on. We got what you need. Uh, I think the uh, bike shop World Cup mechanic thing is quite an interesting point, actually. Because um, obviously it's my second year on the World Cup circuit. Um, and before that, my time was mostly spent in bike shops. And I think as an outsider, you do think there's some sort of like special potion that goes on in the pits to like magically make these people go so fast. And obviously there is some really cool tech out there. But I think what I've come to learn is it's like more about nailing down your process. Like mm. if you can do every all these small steps, if you can do those to hundred percent of their your ability um i think that's where the advantages come from but yeah it's definitely like from the outside you do think there's something crazy witchcraft going on in there um yeah the majority of i can tell you how many interviews i've done or quick little things of like what do you do even dakota who is on our team to this day before he's on our team used to come by and say what do you got going on in his suspension what have you done to that bike to make it go so fast i'm like nothing Mm. quite literally like uh fox serviced it (laughs) like you know there's and there is like certain things like people will see in the pit bit videos and and the and the the bikes and the tech side of little things that mechanics will do but it's they're just trying to solve a problem that their rider has brought to them typically yeah they have a question or they're like hey kind of want my bike to do this and you go okay so you start racking your brain and you get real creative and I think what people see is that creativity coming out of mechanics and teams and, and rider duos and stuff like that. Um, not necessarily witchcraft or voodoo. It's just some creativity trying to solve um, a potential, not necessarily problem, um, just an obstacle that you're yes. trying to trying to get over. And I, th- I think also, like, you know, for any one problem, say there are a hundred different ways to fix it. When you, that's what experience is, begin to know you know the one way and then you get a bit better, you know, 10 different ways. Then you get 25 different ways, and then suddenly, collectively, as a group, as a World Cup mechanics, the circuit, there's, you know all the 100 ways. Sometimes you just need to, to have, have an ask of the question. But let's talk about first World Cups. Jim, I guess yours would have been Lords. Mine was Lords last year, and it wasn't only my first World Cup well, working. The good thing about Lords last year is people only got two runs each. That's correct. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Not even yeah. changing tyres, mate. I know. Um, but yeah, not only was that my first World Cup as a mechanic, it was also the first downhill World Cup I'd ever been to. Mm. Um, so that was like, yeah, I was definitely like starstruck been there, like major imposter syndrome, I think, been yes. like, yeah, stood inside a pit with people looking at what you're doing and the pressure of new riders. And that was funny as well, because it was like the second year of the union, um, but there was lots of new additions to the team. And it's like, when you don't really know someone, it's like a lot of people that putting a lot of trust in you to like make sure the bike is good and all your processes are dialed when it's like, you've not even got past the small talk stage in the van is like pretty interesting um so yeah first one for me was lords like you say there was a rickety old uh 
uplift, I think is a polite way of putting it. Yeah. But um yeah, it was definitely like man culture. I'll say it, that thing was trash. It was ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what, you know what annoyed me was the fact that they know how fast the funicular goes and they know how many people fit on it. The math just didn't it wasn't like, oh well, if we drive these uplift carts at, you know, ten percent faster we can maybe get we, it's 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 just really basic math that there was no way it was gonna work as a Maybe if they'd have uh, looped the pulley wheel of the <laughs> thing with holy water, yeah. we might have gone up a bit faster. <laughs> have but, you ever had a hitch in that thing before? No. I have. And it was the scariest thing. We ha- we like were going up yeah. and it stopped. <gasps> and when it's, it doesn't just stop in place, like it goes up and starts slowing down and then it like clicks and then drops back. Oh God. To like a brake catch or something like yeah, that. Yeah. And dude. We all thought we were done. Like steep. that was it. Yeah. yeah, going down it is way worse than going up it as well. It's like yeah, sketchy. Um, yeah, yeah. Th- those are the things we don't talk about. The <laughs> sketchy uplifts that we have to deal with sometimes. Well, there's the sketchy uplifts, and also there's the. It's like this wonderful. It's like you know in the in world they have like the mating rituals and these things that David Attenborough explains about the cockatoo and this that and the other. There's this thing at predominantly European World Cups where there's like this dance between the lift attendant who has no intention of helping you with the bike, the spare bike, Don't the get wheels, me started on this. the turbo trainers, and they will just, just watch you, watch you just fucking try and pack your bike and yourself and just watch you struggle. And it's like this thing, like, if someone was watching us now, this would be the most bizarre. I clearly need lots of help. Please help me. Yeah. <laughs> I think I've gotten to the point now where I'm so used to that, that if I ever am offered help, I just shove them away. I'm like, no. <laughs> I've, I've been doing this by myself by the for years by the now. <laughs> Please. You've, you're 10 years late. I don't need your help now. <laughs> Jim, how, how did you get offered that job then? How did that come about? I guess it's such a small world, isn't it? And like before this, I was working for the Santa Cruz UK distributor. Um, and obviously there was connections between that and Steel City Media, who is the, I guess, the founder of the union. Um, so yeah, it was just a, started off as a text. And next minute I was at team camp in San Remo, like three months later. Um, so yeah, I guess just word of mouth and yeah, I was keen for a new challenge and it cropped up. So, um, yeah, I think that's one thing you realize when you've been in the bike industry for a little bit. It's like, even when you go worldwide, like it's such a small world, mm-hmm. everyone knows everyone is. So yeah. And John, you've been around for a while. I mean, people often, cause I did a couple of seasons and whatnot, and that's sort of how I ended up working in the more media side of things, which by the way is far easier. Honestly, I've had such a nice time this weekend. <laughs> I have, it has really spoken to my low work ethic and, um, short attention span. Um, but people often ask me, like, how do you end up being a World Cup mechanic? It's, it's, it could be one of a million ways, right? I don't think anybody in the history of the sport that's done this job of a World Cup mechanic has the same story of how they got it. Maybe a couple similarities, but the best I got is right place at the right time when the right person needs you and your name comes up. You know what I mean? Like it's, uh, I think feel like i'd have a better chance winning the lottery of like instead of getting this job it's really it's really difficult i mean i think you could argue i think hanging around resort towns in in bike shops is a good way i think maybe to be honest not being like like really high maintenance i think that would be like that's like a big big red flag for a world cup mechanic if they're like oh my god this person's gonna really disrupt the team vibe or anything like that yeah that's for sure. I think something most people overlook, um, teams obviously will know it, but the whole team vibe, um, has to work really well. Everybody's got to get along. You have to remember that, you know, even on bigger teams or factory teams, like you're on the road together sometimes for four, five, six weeks at a time where you're living 
very closely to up to like 10 other individuals. Like it's literally a giant family and sure there might be a little, I don't even know if that there's rarely, rarely have I seen any bickering from any of our programs or like anything like that or, um, or somebody who just didn't work out. I've heard stories from other programs and dudes literally just getting fired on the spot. Like I've, I've heard of like really high tense situations and one thing where someone, someone, um, I don't, don't want to give away who it was or what team it was in, but somebody went at somebody with a pedal wrench, another mechanic. Oh, wow. Mm. Never heard of that. Yeah. I'll, uh, I'll give you the juicy details. After <laughs> <day>. <laughs> oh, man. Um, but it, it's, it's right though. I mean, Jim, we were just talking about it and you kind of, well, in fact, both, I, mean, I know that you both do more than just fix bikes. You're there to support the structure of the team and whether that's because of someone else owning it or someone else, you know, managing it, you can kind of often still have a really key role. We were just talking about, and actually with these riders, they've got enough on their plate. It's, it's exhausting trying to get to that level of intensity, that level of focus. And happy humans ride bikes faster, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what what would you say is sort of a common characteristic with the good weekends that you've been you've seen at World Cups? Because I think it is it's I I just think the place that these riders have to go to, which is basically essentially risking their life, yeah. risking serious personal injury or, or discomfort. To go on a bike quickly, the last thing they need, right, is extra drama, extra discomfort, or someone sure. that doesn't make them feel confident or makes them feel like they're questioning themselves. Yeah, I think our team's potentially different to Miller's as well because our squad is so young. Like the average age of the union riders and staff is twenty-one. Wow. Um. So yeah, we're all super young. How do you I, rent cars? That's a huge. Honestly, oh, I, genuinely. <laughs> yeah. Don't. Yeah. Um. That's another thing as well. It's like this year as, as well as like yeah, like working on two bikes and doing all the team management stuff as well. I'm the only one old enough to in, be insured on the van. So I've done all the driving, all the shuttling. Like Shit, dude. Even today, like, yeah, working on two bikes, but also going back and forth to the accommodation, making sure riders have got what they need, making sure they're in the right place at the right time. So, yeah, definitely a challenge, but all good. Um, but, yeah, I think the key to us, what I've really noticed this year is, because we're all trying to figure it out, I think fun has equaled fast this year for us. Um, the team's lucky enough to have a base in Morzine through the summer. Um, so coming off some of those breaks where we've had like good fun testing sessions and just generally had a good time as a, as a team, um, that's resulted in good results. Um, so yeah, I guess it's hard to say if that's what it is for sure. Um, but, but yeah, it, this it seems, can be a theme. Yeah. Yeah. I think the theme for us this year is like having fun, going fast and, and John for you, I mean, not to, um, disparage anything, you know, about the more youthful riders, but there's probably a lot less pressure put on them than someone like Aaron Quinn, Dakota Norton at the moment who's having an amazing season season. Um, you know, Joe Breeden's Seth Sherlock both have absolute great results in the locker, I'm sure. They maybe just haven't quite put it all together yet. Um how would how do you think that that does you ever feel that pressure comes down onto you? Or do you think because Aaron seems a very even killed person, although he's also someone that he it feels like he expects a lot of himself and I imagine he expects a lot of you. Yeah, of course. Um I don't know. I haven't thought about that much. It could play into, we work really well together, um, on and off the track. We've over 10 years, like we're more friends than mechanic rider relationship at this point. Um, but I don't know. I personally, I learned to lean into pressure. Um, I raced BMX as a kid younger and I just, Pressure, I would crack, you know, it, I would be behind a gate just breathing, like trying to get 
my head in the right space to go. And even, I don't know, maybe a couple years into this, I just realized like, get used to it. Like if you're going to have and work with a guy who's going to be the last one down the hill this often, <laughs> and that's pressure, you know, and, and realistically, it's really not pressure. You know, I, Hunter Lawrence, if you follow motocross, had a great interview recently and they said, how do you deal with the pressure or something to that sort? And he said, this isn't pressure. You know, this is racing dirt bikes. Pressure is what my family couldn't eat. And so he was like, this is awesome. This is fun. And it's a, I think it's a good mentality to have and to keep in mind that if you are privileged enough to be in that position, to be one of the best riders in the, in the world or, or working with one of the best riders in the world, and you're the one standing in the start hut with them, like, sure, you have nerves, you hope everything goes well, you know, that's all perfectly normal. And that's when I just started leaning into that. I was like, this is awesome. Like, yep, I'm literally shaking, scared to death internally, but I'm not showing it. I won't show it. Probably, probably where I get some of my reputation for just being like a stone cold killer. Like, <laughs> like you look like you're upset a lot. And I'm like, I'm probably just trying to, you know, keep it all together. It, it's, I think especially when there's something going wrong, especially with condensed practice schedules or, or if you say you happen to be at a track where your rider doesn't feel confident on that track or, for whatever reason, maybe then they go up and then their first run they break a wheel. The second run something else happens and suddenly you haven't got time and you're like, and they, they want a quick repair, a quick change. And if your hand's shaking and your bounce, that's infectious, right? You need to just be there like confident, like yep. sit down. And it's going to take you five minutes, but you tell them it's going to take you a bit longer <coughs> just to feel like you're getting I, it done. I'd go back to that point you made earlier about the amount of decisions a rider has to make throughout a race week. And it's very high. I've talked to multiple riders about this and going into the mechanic rider relationship topic again, it just, you have to be, and athletes are looking for somebody who can take those tasks as many as they can off of their plate to make their week go better because it may look like a, uh, they're prima donnas or uh, high maintenance and it's truly not. They just have it's a lot going on and a lot of decisions to make. And I remember cleaning helmets, cleaning shoes, like doing all folding Aaron's gear. You know, I'll put his back number on, I'll fold it up nicely, put it on his helmet. So it's like, it's all ready to go. And I've had people go like, I can't believe you do all that for him. Like this that, and the other. And it's like, it's not that I do it for him. I just understand everything he's dealing with at the at the race and at the moment and so if you can take that task off and it's the bike is part of that right which is why we're ultimately there is so that they don't have to worry about the bike and so you have to be not only good at your job on that they can't they can't wonder if you swapped the brake pads or and took the time to burn them in and that goes into preparation you know what i mean like and keeping your rider calm in those situations and being prepared. So when you do face that situation where they break a wheel, the first lap flat tire, the second lap, like you have to think that far ahead in the future to be prepared for any possible scenario, spare wheel, spare tires, all this stuff. So when they come down in a panic, you go, I got it. It's right here. It's already ready. And, and when they see that, they go, Oh, okay. Thank God. And then they just, then they'll not question that again and they can relax a little bit. They know it'll be swapped in five minutes and they're off. I remember asking you about that as well, actually. I think it was at the top of Leger this year. Like, obviously you and Aaron have worked together for so long and it was quite interesting to hear that you two can 
communicate without actually saying anything. Mm-hmm. Like, especially when it comes to like what he needs at what time, I guess that probably falls into the category of the shoes, cleaning the shoes and the helmet. So it's like, you probably didn't even communicate that at one point. It was just part of the process. Yeah. Always. It was, <clears throat> he'd come down if it was say getting ready to go for, up for qualif- qualification, you finish practice and he'd come down and he could go over, take his gear off, get in some comfy clothes for an hour he can put his shoes on my desk and his helmet and just walk away. He wouldn't have to ask to clean it. I would just wipe it all down, blow it out, get it all prepped and ready, clean the bike ready, prep his jersey, get the number on it, do all the stuff. And even like you said, like at the top, um, being prepared for everything, you have, even if it's sunny and 90 degrees, mud you have shorties. mud guards, <laughs> you have mud tires, you have your rain goggles, you have an extra pair of gloves it's in your bag. Right. It's even little things, I think, like I said, like the really weird little things that people at home wouldn't ne- necessarily think of, like having something to keep the grips dry before I you drop in. Even if it's blazing sunshine, I put plastic bags over the grips at every race. Mm. Just it's like, even if there's not a cloud in the sky, it's just part of the process. Yes, totally. And I think it's like, I've definitely got to the point where I just do the same thing on the same day at the same time at yep. every race. Yep. And it's like, theoretically, if you do all of those things and you're confident with your process, if something goes wrong, it's out of your control. Mm-hmm. And I think that also helps with the pressure side of it as well. Like I noticed that massively last year, like the first couple of races, I was a nervous wreck when the bike was on track. Um, and that's not because you're doubting your ability. It's just like new emotion and you know that you're responsible for that person or people on the track at one time. Um, so yeah, if you can just get to the point where you really nail down that process, you kind of like become more comfortable with it and you don't want to, yeah, you just don't doubt yourself or you just eliminate in the fact of hating yourself at the end of the day, basically. <laughs> and if you're, um, if you guys have stood at the top of a start hut, it's a World Cup finals run, and your rider's dropping in. <laughs> Interesting question. Maybe a bit more of a thought experiment. At what point, how far do they have to get down the track before it wasn't your fault? <laughs> For me, it's like five strong pedal strokes, and I'm like, She's good out the gate, boys. <laughs> it's on you from here on out. <laughs> for, for me, it's split one. I've got a funny story about this, actually. Yeah, um, so, Snowshoe last year. Um, I was working on Ollie Davies' bike um, and we'd had like it was real good like t- like he was making good progress in practice and stuff and he had a good quality result and I remember like being really fired up for his race run thinking like man this is his time to shine like he's going to do pretty good um, so he dropped in it was really wet muddy bit of a shit show um, he dropped in first thing I do when the rider leaves the gate is load up the live timing it's quite funny at the top like every mechanic's huddled around the one and phone with the signal hardest thing to navigate in the world it is yeah. it's ridiculous yeah um but yeah he didn't make it to split one and i was like man that split one's like 30 seconds into this track like something's either gone horribly wrong or the lifetime isn't working so i was like anxiously pacing up and down asking the marshals they didn't even really know because he didn't even make it to the first marshal on the track um and then i was like rushed back to the pit to try to get more updates and it just so happened that he'd uh washed out on the first turn and put his foot through the front wheel and oh. taken out like honestly like 20 spokes in his front <laughs> wheel it, wow. was, it was comical um but yeah obviously out of your control sort of thing but at the time you're thinking like i, I didn't tighten his stem yeah. i didn't tighten his front wheel like he's fuck like his parents are gonna kill me this <laughs> 18 year old kid um, 100%. but yeah it turned out that there was nothing we could have done it was just an insanely unlucky crash really and but. how about you john i mean i'd maybe i said five strong pedals out the gate but sometimes Aaron hasn't even got lemon and still had a good result right <laughs> it it's out of sight for me uh all timing everything aside i'll just make sure he's out of sight and after i can't see him anymore that's 
when I click off the, well, yeah, nothing it's I could out, have done. Yeah, it's yeah. Out of my hands now. <laughs> if I didn't do something, if I left something loose, like it's over at this point, out of and, my control. And before, I, I would like to hear that story about your first World Cup, but whilst, whilst we're in this neck of the woods, do you have any, like, I'm trying to think of some stuff that I remember one, at my first World Cup, I, um, I did the seat, seat tubelet clamp, seat post clamp, like firm, but not like tight, probably, probably realistically, probably a bit lower than talk spec, just nipped it up. And, um, the riders working with Veronica Vidman had a, a slide out. I think she like dabbed really hard and it twisted the saddle and you could have picked this bike up. You could have ridden it. You could have sat on it. It'd have been fine. But that was like a big wake up call to me. Like, oh my God, there's a difference between like shop tight and at home, like prepared. And then like, why really, what realistically on an alloy seat post, it's like, you know, four mil thick. What's the drawback of just doing it really tight? There isn't, there isn't none. Yeah. hundred percent. And if you snap a bolt or bend a clamp, like you can put another one on. Yeah. It's fine. And have you, either of you got any lessons? Maybe you wouldn't like to share it. Maybe you would of when you've had real wake up moments, like, Oh my God, I've just maybe had a close call that maybe actually I didn't get a close call and it ended in, ended in a bit of a disaster. Mm, no, like close calls that I can think of, or I do one time I did forget to tighten the pinch bolts on yeah. the fork. It's easily done. So yeah. the axle was tight, uh, but he came down he's like, something, it was just a practice run first or second or something like that. Uh, and he tapped the front and he's like, something's rattling up here and just check it out and goes get a drink of water. And I was like, okay, start going through my thing and <laughs> check the pinch bolts. I was like, frick you moron like <laughs> yeah luckily i mean the the axles nipped up tight enough it was one run but i'm like dude okay that's kind of a bit of a wake-up call and you got to treat it as that right yeah 100 percent. you and ultimately everything is i don't know if everybody looks at it this way i i do anyways but ultimately everything is my fault like i just i have this extreme burden of responsibility that i put on myself um, may or may not be healthy, who knows, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> I, I just have like this ownership of stuff that, that right or wrong, like my fault, I built the bike. I literally put every nut and bolt on that to touch it as well. Right? If something goes wrong, like there's nobody else to blame. Shit doesn't roll downhill in that situation that it's just you like, but that's really interesting. I think there's a lot of, there is some really good things about that, that attitude as well, because I've like I would say I'm probably quite similar. Um, I'd always be like, whether if there's there's never any doubt if it went wrong, I'm like I'm the last one to touch the bike. It was it was on me. It's just having pride in your work as well. I think it is. That's it was, like, it yeah. goes both ways though because when it's like, did this? Did you tighten that? Or I don't know. Whatever. Did like no, honestly, I did. And they're like, okay, I know that. Or whatever. No, did you do something? You're like, oh, honestly, I'm good. The for amount it. of times that I've touched a bolt after I've probably tightened it five times <laughs> just to make sure. Like, did I tighten that? And you know, that kind of stuff. Yes. Aaron's joked and laughed at me like, dude, step away from the bike. Like, <laughs> it's good. Just take a minute. Just sit down. We got 30 minutes before we leave. And how about you, Jim? Did you, have you had any, had any wake up calls? Or was maybe that snowshoe one something of a wake up call? Even though nothing you could have it done. Wasn't but like, fault, but, but it just, yeah. it startles you to be like, oh my God, I'm going to sure. look at my process. I'm going to try and better something. Mm, I feel like I've, my uh, wrenching for 2023 is done now. So I feel like I can confidently say that, uh, yeah, I'm, no, I've not had nothing yet so far i'm sure it will happen it's like i think uh, the reality of it is like we're often sleep deprived That's working in thing, right? yeah sleep deprived just driven 14 15 hours to a new venue and then you've got to do 
two full down full strip down rebuilds of the bikes um often in a rainy tent that's muddy unfamiliar dark kind of thing. dark yeah no light <laughs> um so yeah i actually think that the chances of something going wrong are actually pretty high like yeah the possibility is there um but yeah like say going back to that process thing it's like ever since i've started doing this i've done my bolt check in exactly the same way yes. like every single bolt is in a certain order and now i know what that is like theoretically if i do that every time i can't physically miss a bolt um that's important too i've had people ask if there's a certain order i said i don't care what you do top down front back back front bottom up like whatever you want to do just do it the same but every time i think for me the way that i viewed my own work was that there's some things where there's like a degree of new maybe i don't know maybe you feel a break and actually it feels really good but over the course of a run they say oh, it went a bit spongy that's like there's a degree of nuance to that but i always felt a bolt loosening was like unforgivable from in terms of my own accountability i was like that is the one thing that i can't something rattling over one down i was like yep and that's something that but it's also really not was not hard i mean i think bikes definitely got better for it but like you said sometimes you're just so tired like i think the most sleep deprived i've ever been is is world cup racing and then also there's the emotional investment as well which is exhausting and you know it's funny like after the finals drop on sunday the huge emotional let off you get in teams everyone wants to sleep everyone's just like we've done the hard thing now and then sometimes you've got to go to two or three more of those right yeah you still have to completely tear your pit down and pack up and whether you've done good or bad uh, everybody's kind of hanging around and you're like i would love to take a break i am mentally drained physically exhausted yet i still have all this all these tents all these parts to put away bikes to wash pack and get ready for either a three-hour drive to the airport at 5 a.m or a 14-hour drive to the next <laughs> venue or whatever or my guy's got to fly home so i need to and they go hey i want my bike to have fresh tires fresh pads rotors yeah for when i go home for this two-week break with my bike and you go it's they raced at 4 30 yeah. it's now 5 30 or 6 by the time you get the bike back in your hands dinner's in an hour and you've still got to do tires spare set of wheels pads rotors and you're going like and you're just mentally drained from a race day and you're just like in delirium land yes. though that's when you're like that's when you're in your paycheck yeah for sure <laughs> realistically there's something more prevalent at maybe european teams i think especially in road teams where there's the training bike and there's the racing bike this is how i would like mm -hmm. to have it where they don't don't fly with a bike i'm the mechanic i'm going to bring your bike to the race and yep. it will be a service at home it'll have been ripped down Everyone can relax. I've done it in my own time with a strong cup of tea. And you can have your piece of shit bike that hangs together to the standards that you want. Take it to your local bike shop for the brake bleed. Do you know what I mean? We've, got, we've had that program I, before. I was, say, I was interested to see what your teams do and, and what it's you think. It's different now because we've been developing a new bike and been on multiple revisions of prototypes. And so oftentimes there's only one bike per rider. So you are flying. That bike is the practice bike and the race bike. On previous programs, we have done exactly that. You have a European race bike, a US race bike, and then a practice bike at home. Each bike has its own set of suspension, but you have one set of race suspension that's done. And typically, as a mechanic, I flew with race suspension, or a rider could as well, uh, in a rifle case. And you would, we would fly to Europe, no bike, so you have no chance of losing a bike. That bike is only raced in the World Cups there, and it's super fresh, <clears throat> typically because you've just serviced it either before or after one race, and it's and lived it looks on a great truck. as well. And I think there's something 
you know, you kind of sound a bit lame, but I think with riders, the old adage of look good, feel good really is when their bikes, they're clean, there's clean shoes and clean helmet and fresh mm-hmm. kit. They do just feel that bit That's, more. If, if my bike's not clean at the top, when the riders warming up, I like feel embarrassed. Yeah. Yeah. It's like inviting somebody over to a dirty home kind of type of deal. <laughs> You're like, ah, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I'm like place is a mess. And that's like our, our aluminum prototypes, they go through a, a heat treat process, a solution heat treat process. And if you know anything about that, it's, it's filthy. When you get it back, there's like oil stains up and down the tubes where it's sat and dripped and all this kind of stuff. They're filthy and they look gross. And there's a, there's a cool like industrial raw thing to that at first, but I quickly got to a point where I was like, okay, if we're going to be on these and presenting them, I'd like them to look good. And you take an extra step to clean them all up. So I put them all through like a vapor blast process before we build them all up to give them that, like they almost look like they've been spray painted silver, but they're just super clean surface with the vapor blaster, um, which is super common from like moto and living in SoCal. There's all the factory teams there. A few, I know a few of the mechanics on some of the teams. And so it's like, it was very obvious to me. I was like, Oh, I'll just borrow a vapor blast machine from one of the boys and clean them up. And it, it made all the difference when we showed up. It was like, yo, like the first one I rode was, filthy kind of looks crappy and then you clean one up it's the same bike it still rides the same but it just feels better so it's a big thing having a clean bike and jim at a team that's maybe slightly smaller you know it, you, it can be done i think you know you get the a new frame at the start of the year then halfway through the european season maybe you go into the second frame and then you send the first frame to get repainted for worlds and you can do lots of juggling but it does get really complicated and quite simply the way that a team largely i mean there are some teams that do it slightly differently but largely i think teams want support financially from brands there's no point in them giving you 20 frames you know you know i mean it'd be better just make the paycheck because sure. we've got to try and get around the world on this you yeah know? yeah yeah that's definitely a thing for us it's like yeah i think because our media is so good thanks to steel city um we portray the image of a bigger team when in reality it's like yeah two mechanics to five riders you got only- five riders or two yeah oh dude good on you yeah Good on um, you. Big job. Yeah. So yeah, on like as well, on top of that, there's all the management to do, getting riders to the races, making sure they have the correct kit, parts ordering kind of thing. It's like the reality is you can only do so much. Um so yeah, for us, every rider's got one bike. Um so yeah, they're rallying that in Morzine in the brakes and then yeah, we come to sweep it up and make it look presentable again for the next race. But that sounds really tough. I mean, for me I d- I did three riders once at this and it was that's gnarly. It was. It was just, really just tough. to clarify. That's five riders between two of us. Yeah, but yeah. even so, like one of. I mean, it sounds like I've also done two riders and done some team management stuff. Yeah, both are big old jobs. Yeah, yeah. And I think especially, not to not to embarrass John here, when you're a really big team, brands will be like, "Yeah, we'll get that for you tomorrow, sir." When you're there, like, please, I just want a chain. Yeah, <laughs> anything. For hey, I'll I'll add to that when you're winning and doing well. Yeah, that email gets responded to very quickly. When the results don't come in or you've been off the bike or injured for a while, I don't have a problem saying now that sometimes those emails fall on deaf ears but and it is oh, not, I will get it I, to you as soon as possible imp- anymore. I think yeah. it's an p- important shout out the big teams as well because they do help people out oh, like gotcha. us. Like even though John and Intense have no link to the union, they've been amazing this year in making sure we're always sorted when we need it. Obviously there's a TRP crossover but even here, it's like we're one work stand short. John walked over, gave us a work stand. So yeah, we have yeah. everything we need. Um, and that's definitely like across the board, everyone is keen to help. And it's really cool to see. It's like 
at their budget maybe 20 times bigger than ours mm. but yeah on a personal level they're still keen to yeah try and make it as even as possible almost yeah and at the end of the day just on that subject it's it comes back to it's not a new idea but everybody needs to be on the starting line yes you know what i mean like nobody wants to see a rider have to miss a race because he didn't have a wheel or, or even a bike in the case of fort william last year mm-hmm. your bikes got stolen the eve of the race was it yeah i'm shuddering and, now at the thought of it dude it was wild man i mean we i, did, I mean basically we pulled our all our spare stock in with olin's and i think some of it ended up with you but i know that syndicate gave you frames definitely yeah and it was just like it was unbelievable especially because without bagging on any one particular event World Cups are expensive to get to. You pay your fees. The, the pit space is expensive. And also part of that is just a bit security, right? <laughs> so when someone apparently just waltzes in in the middle of the night and helps themselves to a team's bikes, that was quite shocking. Oh, insane. Um, and that was only the second race for the team as well. Oh, God, So, yeah, yeah again, it was like, we'd just come off a bit of a break then as well, so everything was fresh and still didn't really know your teammates and what was going on kind of thing. And, yeah, I remember, like, obviously when you're new on a job, you want to act good i remember getting to the pit early to be as prepared as i could do seeing my toolboxes on the floor at the back of the van thinking like definitely didn't leave it there the night before the doors of the van had been closed again i opened them and it was like no exaggeration the van was empty they hadn't just taken our bikes they'd taken our spare wheels our riders kits that have got names on like everything imaginable they'd taken um which yeah again don't want to point fingers but it was yeah dodgy if any of you out there are listening to this and you are the one who did that <laughs> there is a special place in hell for people like you yeah and there is a parking space for you there <laughs> <laughs> know that and a very uncomfortable one <laughs> a very uncomfortable one yeah and i hope you know that mm. just want that to be said um but yeah that was the morning of quality day as well um, that was it yeah yeah so obviously that's for riders that aren't protected that's probably the most stressful day of the weekend um again that's one thing that i've noticed it's like when you're a smaller team and the aim is to get riders through to the final quality day is the biggest day it's almost like once they're qualified it's not job done but it's like a huge weight off your yeah. shoulders that they're in the main show um so yeah this was morning of quality couple hours to go till practice and we've got zero bikes do? zero kit it was amazing like everyone was keen to lend a hand lend his bikes whether they were regardless of who they were kind of thing um but luckily syndicate stepped in and lent us their spare race bikes um so riders were on bikes that weren't necessarily the right size obviously the suspension or the components was completely different so they had two runs to get used to it before their qualification run um and yeah as a miracle everybody qualified it was one of the only races last year where everyone got through to the final um so maybe there is something and it's like you remove almost removing the pressure from the situation and everyone thrived but yeah at the time it was shit but looking back it's like actually quite galvanized you a bit quite a cool story now it's kind of thing um but do you think like new team sort of like not not questioning each other but wondering what each other are going to do when the shit hits the fan and you have the thing and it all goes bad that's it's like a true baptism by fire yeah right yeah. there truly like you're all gonna people are actually gonna stand up to the plate when it counts and you know my mechanic maybe I don't know very well like he's shown me in the most obvious way how mu- how invested he is in me in my success yeah and my sponsors actually give a fuck and you know what i mean it might have actually in, in a weird way been a, a nice thing and a good thing maybe totally and it's like even the people that aren't on the team anymore it's still the one topic we constantly talk about it's like <laughs> well, here yeah, we are. yeah that definitely <laughs> uh yeah made us the people we are today so super cool yeah now john we said we'd get into it so first world cup would you say it was 20 
2014. So what what was the venue? South Africa. Oh god! And he had that. Peter Maritzburg. He had the in long, like stretched out enduro bike. Am I right in thinking? Uh, wasn't stretched out. It was a stock enduro aluminum. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't a downhill bike. Hey? No, it wasn't a downhill bike. I think that bike was. I mean, it was an actual enduro bike. I want to say 180 yeah, travel. That makes sense. But we put a 40 on it, and to be honest with you, I don't even remember the 40 was just on it. And I think that they had reduced the travel to 180 to match it. Very well could have kept it at 200 to keep it like a little slacker. Just when it lower in the lower in the crown. <clears throat> yeah, <laughs> honestly, like I, I wasn't that involved with any of that. Um, I quite literally coming in blind. It was kind of like here's your race bike, um, and it was it was a there was a I still have a picture of it somewhere um, in the specialized warehouse, and it was a test fork that they had that we flew up there tested the bike yep we're gonna run it for south africa and australia and this fork had like some like material ground away on the lowers with like some potentiometer sensors that had been mounted at some point on it and yeah. all the stuff like that and i was like can we keep this fork and i think brad benedict, brad benedict just laughed at me he was like no <laughs> like absolutely not and so i was like oh like what do we do how do i get a fork and he's like uh you're on the team you're sponsored by fox like that's your job and i was like oh okay <laughs> got it like and it was truly like every step of the way at the beginning of that team in my first race was a learning experience to say the least i showed up to um i guess i'd have to just back up a little bit it was as working with rich houseman on his junior development program which he was with uh trek aaron was on trek still and Rich was helping him with contracts, kind of like a managerial position, but like not officially, like type just helped him making sure his contracts were good. And then Rich ran the junior program, which had Jason Schroeder, Charlie Harrison, Shane Leslie. Um, I think Logan Mulally, Nico's brother was honored at one point when Nico was on the factory trek program. And so they were running all of that. John Buckle was a local SoCal dude, full ripper to this day. Um, anyways, Buckle worked at a shop and was kind of doing like the bike work and racing and bike builds and all this stuff for the junior program. Rich had stopped into a bike shop that I worked at. I recognized him, did good work. And he, I, long story short, I ended up moving in about like five houses down from him with a roommate of mine, Chappie Feeney, who was an old IFR mechanic as well. And, um, just kind of like a weird coincidence and happenstance how I moved, like I, it, I moved from this crappy little town, Hemet to Temecula, got this place close to Rich. I started going to Rich's house to like help him with bike work after he came into the bike shop. And then I ended up helping him with the junior program and like working on Charlie's bikes at the races and that kind of stuff. And I think, gosh, Charlie had been 13 or 14 at the time, like real junior. And then, then he filled me in on the move to specialized. And I remember that was like the first taste of kind of like, holy crap. Like he was like, Hey dude, just a heads up. This is what's happening. Yumi and Gwenny are the only ones that really know and specialized. <laughs> like, do not say a word. Well, especially all the thing with Trek at that time. The exactly. letter of intent. And yep. the- that, that whole deal was happening and going down. And I was like, oh my gosh, I have like this crazy information. Like what, almost like you said, like imposter syndrome. Like, why did, why do I have this information? This is crazy. 
so anyways the the move to specialized happens um i spend that whole next year just going to a couple nationals and sea otter helping the junior program uh ag was on the factory specialized program with jc and um yeah, so, so, yeah basically sam hills mechanic actually yep. stayed for a year after exactly and worked with grin for for a year that first year yep and then that following year um spent some time with aaron at rich's house a couple dinners just hanging out um growing down a little bit saying hi and then it would be the end of that year beginning of 14 um i went to a fontana race helped the juniors and rich houseman was like hey Gwynny's gonna be here do you mind you know checking his bike helping him out for the weekend i said sure super nervous and then that race rich said hey take his bike home tonight and make sure it's all good for the race tomorrow and i was like oh my gosh what uh, does that even mean well yeah exactly <laughs> he's like well and he was like you know what you do to the kids bikes as well and i was like okay i take it home and i remember just sitting in the garage with the bike in the stand and my roommate chappy came in and was like him and i just sat there and stared and i was like why do we have aaron gwynn's bike in the garage right now like this is insane and so and just going back like uh, the front brake was rubbing and i couldn't get it to not rub could not didn't know what to do and i was like i don't want to mess with anything like i could probably fix it but if i jack something up like like never will i get this opportunity <laughs> again so i just left it got the best i could anyways goes wins fontana he says he wanted me to go to bootleg the following weekend and we've all worked in bike shops like you don't get weekends off at a bike shop so <clears throat> begged my boss he said no i was like oh. i was honestly i was like I'm a, I'm going to quit. I don't yeah. know what I'm going to do. I don't have a job, obviously, and I didn't think I would ever, but I was like, I want to quit. Like, this dude just made me so mad. Basically, it's choosing between your, kind yep. of your passion, which is why you work for kind of, for sometimes not great pay and not great yeah. hours in the bike industry anyway. It's yeah. like, dude, help us out. For sure. And so, I'm texting Gwynny, and he's like, dude, tell him I'll give him a shout out to the shop on Instagram. I'll tag him. I'll come down there. Like, I'll do whatever. Like, I just, I need you out at bootleg. I'm like, I just showed my phone to the boss and I was like, look, and he goes, fine. You know, he laughed. It, we joke about it this day. I still know him. And, uh, so he lets me go. I work for him and Charlie at bootleg. Rich Houseman sends me a text randomly while we're out there. And he goes, Hey, just go through Gwynny's bike. Like you do Charlie's and kind of like just work as his mechanic. And I was like, okay, thought that's what I was doing anyways, but sure. Got it. It was weird text. And then he goes, maybe the next day, he goes, hey, I'm working on something for you behind the scenes. I hope you don't mind. I can't tell you anything right now, but just keep doing what you're doing. And I was like, that was my first inclination. I was like, I feel like something's happening right now. Like, I don't know what it is. Whatever. I'll just do my job. So Aaron wins. Charlie wins. We're driving home from Vegas. We get to Aaron's house super late, like 9, 10 o'clock. We drop Charlie off and we're sitting in his kitchen and stuff like that and he just straight up goes you want to go to world cups with me next year or this year actually because it was like february yeah, like yeah. of 14 and i just i don't even think he finished his sentence and i said yes i didn't know how i was going to school full-time i was working in a bike shop full-time like six days a week in the bike shop and going to college like i think it's four days a week from i would get off at like i'd leave the shop early at like 
five or five thirty, and then I go to class from six p.m. to like eleven p.m. Oh god, yeah, wow. And then back in the shop the next day, and like homework in the morning before going to work, like just grinding. And I said, "Yep." So I quit every. I quit my job. I quit school. Like called my mom. I said, "Dropping out of college," and I probably had that conversation a hundred times with her, and she talked me out of it every time. <laughs> this time, she's like, "No, don't just stay. You're almost done. Like hang in there." And I was like, "Told her what I got," and she goes, "Oh." Totally. You can go back to school anytime. Definitely yeah. you should go do that. So shout out to moms for that. Um, and then I hit the road and I, I would say that was like maybe f- it was February or March. It would have been March of 2014. South Africa was in April, so yeah. a month later. So we scrambled the jets, got the team together. EC managed it. John Kanipa was going to wrench for Troy Brosnan. That was just for... Yep. Who kind of, yeah, kind of OG from mountain biking. OG. Yep. And so his old mechanic was John Kanipa. Um, so he, they brought him on board, brought me on board. Um, and we went up to specialized. I had a call from, um, the marketing manager at specialized. Basically Aaron was like, this was on a Monday and he's like, I'll have specialized call you. It's like, okay. So I was just waiting for this call at this time. And I was actually on a date with a girl, uh, at the time. And I was like, my phone rang. I was like, First date, dead serious. And I was like, <laughs> I'm so sorry. I have to take this call. Like, could be a dream job. She, she was like, yep, cool, no worries. And I got it. Dude. The guy was like, a couple questions. And he goes, all right, um, I'm going to send you an email with some flights. And I'll see you on Tuesday. This was like a Thursday. Yeah. And he's like, I think you're the first guy I've ever hired over the phone. Um, shout out to Jeff Rogers. He's, yeah, I think he's sick, still at huh? Specialized. So he goes, I think you're the first guy specializes ever hired sight on scene over the phone, but he goes, you came at a high recommendation from Rich Houseman, Eric Carter and Aaron Gwynn. So he's yeah. like done and done. Here's your flight. We'll see you for like Monday or Tuesday for team camp. Because you must, if we look at statistically speaking, I reckon probably you and Marshy probably have the highest rate of races entered to podium. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah, you went I've never right worked that out, but probably. And Marshy had so many years with Greg, I imagine that dragged his average up mm-hmm. unbelievably 100%. high. Um, but that's, I mean, talk about going in the deep end. I I'd probably had the opposite. I did like quite a low, like sort of small beginnings, and then kind of it got, it got a bit more more um, intense, I suppose, over the time and so on. Although maybe I never really, I never, I never really did work for a, a top a top rider. I imagine the intensity is it's quite something else yeah it was like i said is ing- ignorance was bliss at that point yeah like, quite literally i had no idea even after he won what had happened mm-hmm. um truly and we showed up i laugh about what i stress about now but that year we had the first it was still being called 650b i think specialized was actively marketing against 650b if yeah, i remember right remember rightly, seeing yes. like magazine ads saying like we'll never do it and this that, and the other meanwhile like we have this 650b bike um and i showed up to the warehouse or to the headquarters before we was like a day or two at headquarters and then we were going to go uh we had this house rented and we we're going to do team camp testing and then like fly to south africa in like a week so it's like from the time that i got hired flew to specialized and was in south africa was like two or three weeks mm-hmm. something like that so it was just like boom Done. like sign the contract go and i think what's really interesting as well it sounds like we all had similar experiences of getting thrown into World Cups, because I had something to you, Jim, I think it was my first World Cup was when I worked at People racing World Cups and these riders approach the schedule like it's second nature. But to an outsider, the schedule is so complicated. You've got A, B, oh. practice, qualifying time, blah, 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 and you've got to work out the lift time and the warm-up. And it is, it's 
bedlam. And maybe we'll talk about like, I know you got the semi-final this year, but it's always been really complicated. And when you haven't grown up with it, you're just like, sorry, what? And then, but half of the elites are in the B practice and what numbers that you got to go through. And mm-hmm. there's a difference between the UCI and the overall ranking and the, oh, good God. I, I, my whole hand was held that first race. I've, so many people to thank Ben Willett from Specialized. Like he's still the team manager to this day. Was there Eric Carter, John Kanipa? He was like, "All right, dude, like you have to take a trainer up there." I was like, yeah. "What? How?" Yeah, he's like, "You just carry it. You should. Do you have a backpack?" And I was like, "I have the one that I flew with." He's like, "Put as much stuff in there as you can." I was like, "Okay." And Aaron was even Aaron was helping me. He's like, "Yep." Mm-hmm. He's like, "All right, we want to leave this far." in front of our start time and get up there and um so yeah it was scary because you're meant to be someone's authority and you're asking questions especially like i said when you're new to elite racing there is no handbook to work i've I've always been surprised i've worked for different teams on different bikes and i mean maybe it's the state of mountain biking and the not lack of professionalism but no one's ever said like remember when i got worked for polygon and i got given tracy's prototype polygon there were only two of these in the world both raced with that team and it was expected I knew how to work on it. Do you know what I mean? And obviously, you know, lefty, lefty, loosey, righty, tighty. Yeah. But this thing had like an internal sliding tube yeah. and a motocross fork seal in there. And it was just like, oh, so we need a full rebuild. Off you go. Yep. And it had some of the bearings were inboard and some were outboard. And there were some opposite threads. And it's and you're trying never to, you know, never to look like you're going to be the weakest link. Oh, yeah, no, I've uh, <clears throat> seen these in the shop. Yeah, yeah, get it. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah. Yeah, to be fair, I've probably done that to a couple of our guys with this prototype that we developed, just showing up and like, here I am, I've already been working on well, it for Well, you were racing on a months. reconstituted gravy boat last year, Yeah, so I imagine they've been like, this at roast dinner, mate. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> I'm convinced that World Cups at the deep end is the place to be. Yeah. Like, 100%. I think that is where everyone thrives, because you just don't have an option. Yeah. And it's like... I love when there there is no option. Mm. Like, almost mentally and internally i will remove options for myself and yep. just make stuff happen even if there are options or outs like you're 100 right you get thrown in deep end there is no option but to figure it out and just complete it but isn't that so often the way because i think sometimes the exhausting bit around choices is the wrestling but actually if you just accept it like it's like ah like the pressure yeah, the, the the exhausting thing about pressure is the wrestling with it, whether it's justified or whether you should feel. Blah, blah, blah. I th- I th- like- yeah, I think that's definitely something with the new schedule as well. Like, I'm probably going to sound controversial here, but yeah, I'm getting sick of hearing people talk about it. It's like it is what it is. Just adapt to it. It's like what you're seeing here right at this time isn't going to change it. Yeah, like right. only a cert- like how much moaning you're doing isn't going to change the position we're in. So just accept it. Figure out the best way to do it. Get on with it. Yeah. If some butts were candy and nuts, we'd all have a Merry Christmas. Yeah. You know? <laughs> that's, that's yeah. It. yeah. I think you're totally right. I think, um, yeah, I think, I think World Cup racing at an elite level is, is a fascinating thing. And I think it's as much a study of character as, as anything because we don't come through. I mean, one of the, the best things about it is the, the lack of formality. People aren't media trained. People don't get signed NDAs. People just fucking have at it and give it a good knock. Yeah. And I think that's just cool. Yep. Uh, a lot of people don't even know that looking at it from the outside in either. Yeah. And people say it's the, f- I know I, I hate for me. My pet fever is it's the formula one of mountain biking <laughs> because it's just like, you'll just come here and you'll just see people with, you know, leaning down to fix bikes with their ass crack showing fucking some biscuits, like falling off the counter and yep. a cold cup of tea. And it's like, it's a bit more characterful. Than yeah. Maybe some people realize hundred <laughs> percent. Yep. And yeah. that's why I love it to be fair. Mm-hmm. But I think, um, I think we'll leave it there. Thank you so much to both of you for giving us the time. Thank you. And, uh, the first of hopefully many mechanics meetings. Absolutely. Thank you very much.